Hello and welcome to the Lancet Oncology podcast. I'm Richard Lane. In the November 2014 issue of the Lancet Oncology, we have a review about multiple myeloma. Let's hear now from my colleague Aaron Van Dorn in the Lancet New York office to find out more. Today I'm speaking with Dr. S. Vincent Rajkumar from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, discussing the new disease definition from the International Myeloma Working Group. So why did the members of the International Myeloma Working Group decide that the disease definition of multiple myeloma needed to be updated? And what new factors did you take into consideration when updating the definition of the disease? Unlike other malignancies, the diagnosis of multiple myeloma requires not just evidence of clonal proliferation, but also demonstrable end organ damage that is attributable to the neoplastic process. In other words, to make a diagnosis of myeloma and start therapy, patients must have hypercalcemia, renal failure, anemia, or osteolytic bone lesions called CRAB features. This requirement for end organ damage in order to call a malignancy as a malignancy and start therapy was okay when we had very limited options for treatment of myeloma, but the myeloma working group decided that it was not justifiable now given the considerable advances in myeloma therapy. Second, we've had major advances in laboratory testing and imaging that allows us to detect end organ damage in a timely and early manner, which allows us to minimize serious harm to patients. And these advances needed to be incorporated into the disease definition. But Finally, and most importantly, though, we have accurate biomarkers now that allow us to define patients who have malignancy and need therapy before end organ damage is manifest. So these are the three main reasons why the International Myeloma Working Group decided that we needed to update the disease definition for myeloma. While doing this, we made sure we considered two key factors. One was that we needed to be accurate. We were acutely aware that we needed to prevent over-treatment of patients who don't have malignancy and therefore do not need therapy. And we do not want to add the label of malignancy to patients who had a non-malignant or a pre-malignant process. So ensuring that changes were made based on accurate information and striving to make sure that any changes we make are accurate was critical. Secondly, we we had to be data-driven. Any proposed change, all of the major changes needed to have data from two or more independent studies. Therefore, this whole process took several years. Once we decided that we needed to update the disease definition, we needed to have primary data published in peer-reviewed journals to support any of the proposed changes. And then the process of incorporating and getting consensus from a huge group of myeloma experts took a long time. And the final product, I think, is, uh, is excellent. Can you briefly outline the most important recommendations of the working group? So first, of course, the most important recommendation is the disease definition of multiple myeloma has been revised. Therefore, with the new criteria, in addition to end organ damage, myeloma is also defined by three new myeloma-defining events. Number one, bone marrow plasma cell percentage of 60% or more. Number two, free light chain ratio of 100 or more, or magnetic resonance imaging MRI studies showing more than one focal lesion. Any of these three myeloma-defining events would qualify as myeloma even in asymptomatic patients and in patients who do not have manifest end-organ damage. We also, most importantly, allow osteolytic bone disease to be detected by modern imaging tools such as CT or PET-CT in addition to the radiographic survey that was standard for all these years. 
Second, I think even though the revision of the myeloma definition is really the major change in this paper, we also updated the disease definitions for smoldering multiple myeloma, a monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance, or otherwise known as MGUS, as well as solitary plasma cytoma. And those changes were made necessary by the changes to the myeloma disease definition. And finally, we have updated the follow-up recommendations on how asymptomatic patients who are not yet myeloma are followed in the clinic so that smoldering myeloma patients with high-risk features can now be diagnosed and treated as myeloma prior to end organ damage if they develop one of the myeloma-defining events. What implications does the updated definition have for patients' management and treatment? Does it have any other implications, for example, for those with borderline conditions for future trials? Yes, for Patients' management and treatment, uh, number one, I would say that given the changes, uh, a lot of care and judgment is needed. People should not follow criteria as a substitute for judgment. There's still a lot of judgment in myeloma disease definition. Attributable end organ damage is something that requires judgment. So I think that must be emphasized. Continue to exercise judgment when seeing patients uh, with potential myeloma and in making the diagnosis. But major implication for patients would be that now that we can initiate therapy before patients have renal failure or before patients have vertebral fractures or osteolytic bone lesions. There's a potential that we can actually improve quality of life and overall survival. There are studies now suggesting that early therapy of even high-risk patients with smoldering myeloma may prolong survival. So I think offering early therapy before end organ damage to patients with early malignancy offers this potential and that's a great hope. But I think one of the major things that we hope occurs is a cure for the disease. Many of us have argued that insisting on treating myeloma only after multiple bone lesions have occurred or renal failure has occurred is akin to saying breast cancer is breast cancer only when multiple bone metastases are evident. Therefore, we feel like allowing patients to receive therapy patients who clearly have malignancy based on validated biomarkers would allow us the opportunity to deliver effective therapy when the tumor is most susceptible. And given the array of therapeutic options we have right now, I think this opens the door for potential cure of the disease. In terms of other implications for patients with borderline conditions or future trials, we hope that future clinical trials in multiple myeloma expand eligibility criteria to allow patients with myeloma based on the revised definition. We are aware that many of the risk models for smoldering myeloma were built including patients now that are going to be reclassified and therefore those models need to be updated because they may overstate the risk. I think that risk is small that that would happen, but it's still something to be taken into account. And finally, I am pretty sure that these criteria will evolve and need to evolve as new data comes in. But in the paper, we have set a benchmark as to what type of data is needed if a future change is needed to the disease definition. Is there anything else our listeners should know about the working group's updated definition? I think I am very grateful for the members of the working group. The International Myeloma Working Group consists of over 170 members. We had numerous, close to 80, 90 people sending in comments, and we have assembled a group of people who have considerable influence in the field, and I hope that the criteria are actually incorporated into clinical practice and future clinical trials. Dr. Rajkumar, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Appreciate it, Anne.